for June 8th, 2009. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 49, Peaking Down Under. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. I am your host, Matthew Rather, and I am joined by the panel of overthinkers. Uh, overthinkers, it is Tony night tonight. It is the most glamorous yeah, night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is at least <laughs> the third most glamorous award show that I can, uh, that I can think of. So, uh, in honor of that... Uh, question of the week, what is your favorite musical? Uh, and you know what? Broadway, like theatrical musical or film musical? Either, either one. Or should we say stage musical? No, because mine's a movie. So, uh, so either way. Uh, Peter Fenzel. Yo, I'm really excited about the scandalous upskirt shots of Brian Stokes Mitchell that came off the red carpet this year. Uh, sorry, obscure theater joke. Um, so let's see. My favorite musical, uh, actually, uh, maybe this is something other people share. Maybe it isn't. My favorite musical is the Secret Garden musical, which was made in 1991 and is written by um, Marsha Norman and Lucy Simon, who is the sister of Carly Simon. I love, love, love this musical. They performed it when I was in high school, and I have the CDs. Thank you, Stokes and Tomomi, uh, um, which burned them for me a long time ago. Uh, it's just it's so energetic. It's so much about rebirth, and every time things are looking down, I pop that in there and cheers me right up. So. Awesome. Yeah, Mandy yeah. Patinkin yeah, I was wondering was if you could hear me or whether you just weren't particularly fascinated by the process. No, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm trying to deal with the computer and things like this. Uh, uh, Mandy Patinkin was in that on Broadway, in the original Broadway production, right? That is correct. Mandy Patinkin. Yep, definitely. He, uh, he played Archibald Craven. And, um, yeah, and it's got some silly parts, of course, but what musical doesn't, right? Yeah, well, it's, you know... I don't like musicals because people don't burst out in song in real life. And I think that Seriously. musical is bad because uh, uh, it, uh, people don't burst out in song in real life. Like, think about the last six months of your life and how many times you sang a song versus how many times you took down 100 people in a hail of gunfire. Because I'm thinking musicals are they're not that realistic. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely, though, like, uh, I actually, I have sung a song a lot more than... Uh, I've taken down a hundred people in a hail of gunfire. So I guess <laughs> musicals is, are more is video realistic. Game, video games are the least realistic because think back over the last six months, how many times you jumped, <laughs> <laughs> or or this, how many wooden crates you've seen, <laughs> right? Because wooden Let crates are smashed. everywhere in video games. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, Mr. Mark Lee in from New York. That's me. Uh, I not so much I'm going to choose like most favorite musical musical of all time. Um, I'm not the hugest fan of the art form, um, not because people, you know, I have a thing against people spontaneously bursting on a song, but um, just because I wasn't really exposed to it a whole lot growing up, I guess. But I will give a big shout out to one of the Tony nominated award musicals for this year that I've actually heard of, never seen, but I've listened to the uh, to the soundtrack and love the soundtrack. That would be title of show. Anybody familiar with this one? Uh, it's the, the meta musical, right? It is the yeah, meta musical, yeah, yeah. and it, yeah, it deserves recognition for taking <clears throat> what could be the, like a easily be just extremely trite and poorly done concept, right? Of the meta musical, a musical about writing a musical, and they made it exceedingly entertaining, which that in itself is a huge feat. Um, but one of the just the, the great things about this is um, one of the songs in this. It's um, 
Well, to give you a sense of what the musical is like very quickly, the first song of it starts literally like this. A, A, D, D, F sharp, A. So, you know, that's kind of gives you a sense of what, where this is going. Um, it's very tongue in cheek about, you know, obviously the process of writing a musical. And one song is, starts off very dramatically like, what if this song won a Tony? Or like, what if this show won a Tony award? And it, right when it starts to get very bombastic, the other guy comes and is like, hey, hey, we said we're not going to do a Tony's, the Tony song for the, for the soundtrack or for, for the show. That's too, because that's too cliche. And like, that, <laughs> like interrupting this, the song by saying that's too cliche is in itself pretty damn cliche. But it, again, you know, somehow they just make it work. So uh, hat tip to Hunter Bell who is nominated for a Tony Award for Best Book of a Musical um, because his show had a song about winning a Tony and how that would be uh, uh, a great thing. So, <laughs> title, show. title show it is. How, yeah, it would be. And that show, like, that was the little show that could, you know. They, yeah, 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 they yeah, didn't yeah. play on Broadway all that long, but they came up through off-Broadway. And it was, I mean, it was really cool to see something that kind of, like, came up was and was successful move on to sort of successfully, successively higher levels. Yeah. I think. It's a great story. As a practitioner of the theatrical arts. That you are. I try. Mr. John Parrish. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I suggest, I just to use our favorite word, you are purportedly an actor, um, practicer. Of the <laughs> so no one arts. has ever actually seen me act. No one has ever actually seen <laughs> me work. <laughs> I, I, uh, I do purportedly do this um, for the princely $225 a week salary it can bring if you're lucky. Yes. Hey, that's John Parrish. Sorry to what, cut what? you off before there, John. Oh, no, it's fine. Do you have a favorite musical? I do. The uh, 2007 uh, Adam Shankman version of Hairspray, the musical. It's really good. It is. It's really good. It's, I, I, have, I have a pretty hard time liking musicals made since like 1980 or so. I'm, I'm very, very much opposed to musicals. Yeah, but anything after Cats, right? <laughs> yeah, yes. Now and forever. forever. Cats is the hard dividing line. No, uh, but I really like this one because it's fun. Uh, the lyrics are fun as well as subversive. Like if you if you listen to the lyrical content of a lot of the really upbeat songs, it's it's. Whoa, Hello? that was exciting. Sorry about that. Uh, that's all right. I, I was hoping I was hoping you were queuing up one of the songs for us. That would be awesome. I'm not. Uh, I'm not. I totally can like, though. Sorry, I was saying he was lassoing his robot motorcycle, getting ready to drive. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But, uh, but yeah, subver- subversive but catchy lyrics, like on par with what Elvis Costello pulls off when he's in his prime. Uh, and also, but most, most importantly, it says nice things about Baltimore. Like the, the, open- <laughs> the opening song that, uh, that little, little Tracy Turnblatt has, Good, Good Morning Baltimore, I, I think the first time I heard that, I got like genuinely a little misty because it was the first time in maybe 10 years that I had heard someone say something nice about the city of Baltimore. <laughs> you must cry when you watch Ace of Cakes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I suppose if that happened, I would, yes. <laughs> is that, is that set cake. in Baltimore or is that in, in D.C.? Oh, it's, it's, set in, it's set right in Baltimore. Oh, no, cake lo- sorry, Cake Love is in D.C. Ace of Cakes is in Baltimore. <laughs> there are, there, no, seriously, there's more than one cable show about cakes. About, a, <laughs> about like a high-end baker. 
Wait, wait. That's so unrealistic. When was the last time you ate a cake? <laughs> <laughs> when was the last time you made a cake that looked like Versailles? Come on. <laughs> so yes, Hairspray, uh, 2007, John Travolta, Michelle Pfeiffer, Chris Walken, Amanda Bynes, James Marsden. Rent it, see it, love it. Yeah, it was entertaining. I don't know if I would like put that at the top of the heap of of, of musicals, though. But, you got to um, listen to the lyrics. Mark Scheiman, who wrote the lyrics for Shaman Scheiman, I never know how to pronounce his name. Um, I actually I worked with some people before who know him and told me how, and of course I've since forgotten. But really, it's just an opportunity to name drop the fact that I've worked with some people who know him and uh, can call him Mark. So Mark like wrote the uh, lyrics for the <laughs> <laughs> for the South Park movie. Oh really? Yeah, he was the guy who nice. collaborated with with Trey Parker for you know what would Brian Boitano do and Uncle Effer and <laughs> you know all that. I'm trying to keep the PG thirteen oh, wow. rating um, here. You know? Yeah, well that, that uh, you know that really kicked the movie up a, a few notches in my book. There, Th- those, that was the greatest thing. Trey Parker said in an interview that Stephen Sondheim wrote them a letter and said uh, said like you have written the greatest American musical of the last twenty <laughs> years. <laughs> <laughs> but like no i mean like um you know i don't know i won't go all the way but i'll go pretty far like there's there's some good which bears maybe on some of the stuff we're going to talk about later like there's some good uh, lyrics in that and uh, no. okay i think i have it set up Good morning, Baltimore from Harrisburg. That's a great song. That is a great song. Yeah, that is. Yeah, no, you mean <laughs> missing you the ancestral. You've got to keep that devil down in that hole. That is all that I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's I um, sunshine out. <laughs> that's a good. And you know what? The the John Waters movie was very good. The Broadway adaptation was very good, and I think the film of the of the Broadway musical was very good as well. Yes, yes. Which is a, you know, a trifecta that the producers didn't quite manage to equal. <laughs> certainly. No, no, no. Yes. Certainly not. Well, uh, for me, there really is only one answer to this question.
Uh, I'm watching it on YouTube, and let me tell you, there is a smile on my face. This is, <laughs> I think, just the greatest movie musical in in ever. It's so good. Like the the photography is fantastic, the choreography is fantastic, the jokes work, they work over and over and over and over and over. You can watch them and they're still funny. And it's just amazing. You know, Gene Kelly is is amazing to watch. Speaking of titles, this is a show about a show as well, is it not? Yeah, there's a play within a play or there's a movie within the show. There's a movie within the movie. Right. So There's actually several a, movies within the movie because it's about the film industry and the and the arrival right, of right, sound. Right, right. Yes. It's kind of like the comic version of Sunset Boulevard. No, the, the original Sunset Boulevard wasn't meant to be a comedy. <laughs> that <laughs> I, I got that so wrong. Sunset Boulevard <laughs> is not on my list of favorite musicals. Why not? What, wasn't it adapted into a musical at one point, or am I thinking of something? It was else? no by uh, by Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yeah, wow. Uh, and, but and you know who played the Norma Desmond part in um, in L.A. at least, and maybe in New York as well was uh, Glenn Close. Wow, I know, a song right? Song and dance lady, if ever there was yeah, one. Don't really think of her that way, do you? As long as not, not, I don't really think of her unless she's like uh, either killing someone or investigating the killing of someone. <laughs> or perhaps suing someone for investigating the killing of someone else. <laughs> All right, we have to. Uh, we actually have to launch into the actual show. Um, <laughs> oh no! We were having so much fun dithering around. <laughs> Oh, I love uh, dithering. It oh, was man. a huge. It was a huge week for feedback for uh, for feedback from our listeners. We love it. We want more, uh, especially voicemails. I love playing voicemails. You can call the Overthinking and Podcast voicemail at twenty eat log zero one. That's two zero three two eight five six four zero one. Or email podcast at overthinkingit dot com. Or just leave a comment on the show notes. Uh, we just want to hear from you though, and we because we love. We run out of ideas. Uh, one thing that we're going to run out of ideas so, uh, uh, about pretty quickly, so let me put the ask in right at the, at the top of the show here. Um, we want to know what you think we should do for the 50th podcast, which is next, uh, next week. It is the 50th official Overthinking It podcast. I mean, I guess we're over 50 if you count the special episodes and things like this, but of the, the idea where we just get a panel together to overthink whatever happens to be going on in the culture at the time, it's number 50. So that's a big, you know, that's a big thing, I think, for us, for our, for our scrappy little website that could. We could do the what we could do the podcast naked. It'd be so edgy. <laughs> it would be totally different. I'm sorry, you don't already. I mean, I'm doing the. Po- oh, I, uh, no. Um. We could turn off our, our t- correction. We could turn off our tone correction and auto tuners. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I could auto tune what I'm saying because I. Uh, oh, I remember I am, when you do that for the Grammy show, and that was hilarious. I'm doing. Uh, uh, because in order to play all these voicemails and audio, I'm I'm playing everything through GarageBand before it goes to Skype. So you know, uh, let's try. So <laughs> does this do anything for you? Does this make a? Oh my God! It's Kanye West. <laughs> We're on the Overthinking It podcast. <laughs> We're overthinking things. We're overthinking a lot of things. <laughs> Actually, 
When you're talking in conversational volume, you sound like the the villain from the uh, the Half Life knockoff por- or Half Life spinoff, rather Portal. Uh, the the artificial intelligence that that torments your uh, your character. She sounds a lot like that. I'm sorry, I tried to kill you before. <laughs> ah, creepy. This was a triumph. Yeah, no. Let's uh, let's turn let's turn that right off. But uh, <laughs> so um, we had some mom voicemail. We promised a one of a kind overthinking it hoodie. Well, it's actually two of a kind because I have the only other one. Uh, but I got it in the wrong size. I got an extra large first. It was a gift from all the writers on the site for our one year anniversary, and uh, they got me an extra large. Which you know, thanks guys for you know. Thinking I'm extra large, uh, uh, I'm a me- I'm a svelte medium, you know. But you just thought uh, that you wanted to roll, you know. It's just ah, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but so I have this extra extra large because it, you know I returned and got a medium, and uh, so it's one of a kind. And uh, we had a mother call in. Uh, have a listen. Hi, this is Darcy Gabrielle mother. I live in Las Vegas, Nevada. If you need to reach me on my cell, uh, please feel free. It's area code or my work is not sure what this is for, but doing what my daughter said. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Man, she's I, a I, foul mouth. No, I'm shocked. Why is this Instead of, you know, just give her, give her phone numbers at the logical points or her last name for that matter. Yeah, Strange. no, I, did, I wanted to edit out the the personally identifiable information, but uh, that is the mother of Gab, Woo-hoo! one of our most prolific commenters, who you know uh, because she is uh, on the site all the time. Congratulations, Gab! I sent your uh, one of a kind overthinking it hoodie to you by Woo-hoo! United States Postal Service Priority Mail. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I like now, the postal service, not, not the band. I don't want to be made. No mistake. I don't like the band, the postal service, but the actual public service. Now you're being. Now you're just. You're just being sarcastic. Yeah. There's millions of hipsters. There's millions of hipsters now who are boiling with rage. They are going to walk sternly over here and give me a piece of their mind. Ironically. <laughs> there needs God, to be a compete- Fenzel. There needs nice. to be a competing band. On the slow on the slow core scene called Federal Express that promises like you know even even more emo lyrics or you know something something competitive to the postal service or just like fifty dollars <laughs> CDs. <laughs> You're so emo. <laughs> is that is that a word? Is slow core a word? It is now. I, be- I believe so. Isn't it the same thing like like shoegazing and you know that whole that whole genre like slow core? I'm, you no, know, I believe you. I believe you. I've heard shoegazing before. I just never heard slowcore before. I might have just invented it, but I don't. I don't think I'm that clever. <laughs> <laughs> I think you underestimate yourself. Well, uh, congratulations, congratulations, Gab, and thanks also to uh, Sariel Thron. Sariel Thron. Is that a reference that I don't get? Uh, yes. undoubtedly right sariel is the name of an angel but i don't know um it sounds like it's a reference to some sort of fantasy or gothic character but i know that's the sariel name is is it's like gabriel uriel raphael sariel and i believe Um, thrawn comes from the star wars extended universe there's a a villain by that name that's all i know sadly that would be grand grand, that would be grand admiral thrawn 
from the Timothy Timothy Zan name Star Wars novels. Oh, don't get over it. You, <laughs> I know, and I read those novels and I really enjoyed them. I don't I don't mean that to, to mock Serial Thrawn's choice. Of, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, his, his actual first name but, is Mithron. <laughs> Grand Admiral oh, Thrawn. Good blue skin. Yeah. Maybe Bad it's ass. maybe it's a real name. I'm I'm very sorry, uh, Sariel, Sariel. If I'm uh, if we're making fun of your actual name, because I mean, it, she's uh, named after an angel, that's totally fine. I mean, no no worries. She uh, or, just, she or he. We we don't yeah, know the gender of this person. So yeah. you know, right back with a little more uh, biographical detail. Oh, but um, wrote in uh, with some some. Uh, suggestions for the Jubilee 50th episode of the podcast. And so we will take all of those under advisement. And uh, is writing in from Sydney, Australia. Also, I'm, I love it that we, have, uh, that we have listeners, you know, in the land down under. I'm sorry, you must be, you, you people who live in Australia must ha- really hate it when, uh, when Americans call it that, right? Uh, well, but, yeah, Serial uh, actually signs it as if it's it's his real name or her real name. So yeah, my that's apologies. Right. Yeah, just, no, it just, is a cultural reference. So I, I, that's what I thought it was, but it's probably just named after um, the 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 you know not fictional character, mind you, but like religious figure. Uh, I mean, so many names come from that. Well, Serial, you have the name of an angel, <laughs> uh, and you can be found at. Thirty-three point eight six degrees south. Ooh, south! I like it. I like it that someone is listening from south, and uh, one hundred fifty point nine four degrees east. Like Serial gave us a lot more precision than that. I feel like we could locate like the newspaper over Serial's shoulder with the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, we'll, like like ten significant digits or something. We'll be feeding um, this to Keyhole Satellite, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm punching <laughs> into the OTI satellite as we speak. And, uh, and, and, Locking on Serial's position. Nice. <laughs> Beam him uh, up, Scotty. Then um, in, uh, in Terminator news, we have this, a oh. listener voicemail. Hello, the overthinking it voicemail. This is Nick J from Orlando. Um, at long is 28 degrees, 24, minute, or 24 hours, 49.33 minutes north, 81 degrees, 26 hours, 44.58 minutes west. Now, I actually, I want to pause there for a second because we were reading the single tick mark as minutes before, and I think the single tick mark is hours, right? Oh, fair enough. I, I, I don't think so. I think it's minutes. Huh. Well, because there's only 24 hours. Oh, you raise an excellent point. Yeah, so it's 24 hours, 60 minutes, 60 seconds. How many minutes in a degree? Oh, gosh, I'd have to look that up. Yeah. Pretty, pretty, sure, pretty sure 60, sorry. 60 minutes in a degree? Really? I think Google should be able to answer this for us. Yeah, let's, right? uh, let's, let's feed that into Google or Wolfram Alpha or something like that. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, Nick from Orlando. Continuing on with your, your voicemail. At an elevation of 89 feet above the sea level. Nick got really technical. <laughs> it is see, my clever internet pseudonym is Random Billy. Feel free to find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters and the Yahoos and the what have you. Anyway, okay, so you're talking about Terminator. I can't believe you guys didn't point out that, well, first of all, let's, or to the, the, the sweet little motorcycle things that come out of the neck warrior chew things. All it takes <laughs> to the table and there's a little trip line, which is awesome. But then they're fine to drive, and you can just hop on it. It's got a place for you to sit. It's got obvious controls that are easy to use, and apparently it's got a throttle and a 
in brake pedals and stuff for a, for a person. And uh, it seems to be the only robot that's using an internal combustion engine, while the rest of them have converted to electric. Ah. Very strange. Strange indeed. Yeah, and it's that hard is, to yeah, that's next. For a robot motorcycle using just an electric motor. Uh, just think of the force ratio. <laughs> Nick, I want to thank you for for calling in, but um, you also have unfortunately, you know, brought me back to my Terminator rage phase where I thought I'd got <laughs> all of it out in that screed that I wrote about, you know, calling no fate, but will we make the greatest Terminator lie on the blog last week? But uh, <laughs> you're such a we... jilted lover, Mark. You're such a like a pissed off, like jilted. Uh, like, oh, hell has so no much, fury like a Terminator. There's so much fans. rage in my cage right now. So much rage in my cage. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, you know it's it's interesting you bring that up, and that that is that is when you when you bring it up, right? It, it is completely ridiculous, right? Why a Terminator, why a Skynet produced motorcycle would have a, a uh, controls, right, which would be usable by a human being? Doesn't make any sense at all, right? A throttle and brakes and whatnot. Unless they and, imagined like the the T eight hundreds or what? What's the original model? The T six hundred. Unless they imagined those um, riding the motorcycles. Yeah, but then why would they have to, you know, like operate the the, the throttle with a mechanical way instead of just like interfacing with it, you know, via the handily readily available USB port? Well, that's true. But why? Point being, why also? P- why would their visual displays be written in English? Well, that's that, <laughs> that I can excuse. I think the but the you know in other words, like if you think back to like the original Terminator. Um, you know, the scene where it shows the LED, like, for example, when the, the cleaning guy knocks on the door and, you know, is like complains about the smell and then Arnold's, you can see Arnold's, uh, you know, thermo vision and you see a, 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 a few options of one of which famously is a few asshole, um, <laughs> which, which is funny and it works in that. My point being, but when you, when you look at the sum total of the overall depiction of the post-apocalyptic Skynet universe in Terminator Salvation, little things like that, um, just add up to a just a just a sloppily portrayed, not well thought out universe, and in a sloppily portrayed, not well thought out movie. Anyone care to disagree with that? Not at all. I mean, I think that it, I've read a lot now. At this point, I've read a lot about the original drafts of the script and how it was different from the movie that they actually made. Um, and I won't go into a huge amount of detail on it now, but suffice it to say that it was real different, um, mm-hmm. and there were people. Um, in the original draft of the script, there were people associated with Skynet. That was one of the big revelations, mm-hmm. was that there were like there, there were more Marcuses who were part of Skynet. Um, now, I don't necessarily think that they were going to be riding around on the motorcycles, but <laughs> I mean, it just, I don't know. I, mean, I feel like I'm tempted to say, well, they could I don't they know. They've got to get from place to place somehow. I mean, that's true, and they do want to look cool, um, and they don't need windshields, apparently, um, when they're riding around. I guess you don't need those on a real motorcycle, either, um, I guess, but uh, that's actually, that always amazed me. If you, have, if you have no helmet, that if you have no face mask on your helmet, and you have no windshield, like, is that problematic? I haven't done a lot of motorcycle riding, but that well, would Well, yeah, be- no, you eat bugs, if that, right, yeah. you're, it's just bug in the eye, if, uh, if you don't have a face mask. So, but do people, people generally wear the face masks, right? But some people don't. Or sunglasses. Or sunglasses, fair enough. So that's why everyone wears the sunglasses, is so that they don't get hit in the eye with bugs. Right? That's, that's oh, the point. Also I, I should have seen more robots with sunglasses, because robots with sunglasses is the anchor of the Terminator franchise. <laughs> <laughs> and without that, it's floating around in the wilderness. So. <laughs> 
I'm done with that. <laughs> let's move, on, let's move on to Terminator before. I yeah, have talked about Terminator too much, and it is, does not deserve it. So we should move on. Unless you want to talk about Land of the Lost, we should find another talk. <laughs> no, let's, let's really let's not talk about Land of the Lost. So implausible with the dinosaurs. So unrealistic. Uh, okay, so let's move on. Ben from Boston writes in. Uh, a couple weeks ago, my mom dragged my, uh, my dad to see Star Trek for Mother's Day. Wow, what a great Mother's Day present. Well, your mom must yes. be cool then. But I don't know. Gab's mom is, is pretty much the coolest because uh, she called into the overthinking and voicemail. We should have that as a contest. I really want more moms to call into the show. <laughs> uh, my dad ha- claims to hate movies. Now, dad, dad is celebrating Mother's Day by watching Jim Kirk and the gang. Uh, but he enjoyed Star Trek. He hates movies, but he enjoyed Star Trek. He has also enjoyed Sneakers, The Fugitive, and Jurassic Park. Mm. Yes, Star Trek is the first movie my dad has seen since the mid-90s. So Ben wants us to overthink... um, Ben wants us to overthink uh, what more movies his dad would like. And uh, so... um, he uh, he writes in more. Uh, oh, uh, so and so I asked Ben for more information by email after he wrote in, and he uh, he asked his mom for more information, and so mom got back to Ben, who got back to me, and uh, mom had these things to say. Oh, good, it's another mother on the podcast. Uh, Dad generally does not like movies that require him to suspend his disbelief for any extended period of time. He has enjoyed. <laughs> The fugitive, the fugitive. Sorry, the yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about. Second. Yeah. Exactly. Let's <laughs> let's talk about William Blake here. Let's talk. You know. Yeah. The fugitive. The Usual Suspects. The Rock. Back to the Future. No. No suspension of disbelief there. <laughs> Not necessary. No, my cousin. Did. My cousin Vinny. Uh, being John Malkovich, and he laughed at the Shrek movie. So, <laughs> dude, Ben, it's not the first movie it's seen in the mid nineties. Maybe the first movie in the theater since the mid nineties. He seems to like movies with interesting dialogue, puns, or surprises in them, and definitely likes action movies. Uh, from my point of view, uh, if I can get him to go to the movies or to watch one on TV, he often likes it. Uh, that said, we made the major mistake of watching Oliver Stone's W. We both hated it. I'm not sure why Oliver Stone... Oh, and Mom goes off. <laughs> I'm not sure why Oliver Stone is rated so highly. I've never <laughs> seen anything by him that I liked. Uh, Platoon. JFK was pretty good. Nixon was okay. It was boring, but it was okay. Uh, you know, I, I take being bored by the art that I consume as a, a badge of honor. Oliver Stone's an acquired taste. I think that's that's a fair thing to platoon, say. I mean, okay, well, platoon, never mind. Dad also <laughs> has a general aversion to seeing blockbuster movies, uh, didn't like the newest Star Wars. I think he'd like the Lord of the Rings more. I agree, absolutely. Well, they're just better movies, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, than the uh, Star Wars episodes 1, 2, and 3. Um, so... Uh, and Dad liked the Star Trek movie because it had good dialogue, good acting, and lots of action. Uh, he generally does like action movies. I'm sensing a theme here. Uh, mm. Been known to sit through uh, Con Air, not a wonderful movie, and enjoy the action parts. I take exception, Mom. I think that Con Air is, in fact, a fantastic, <laughs> fantastic it has some, film. It has some flaws. I think most of the flaws in Con Air... <laughs> It has some flaws. Like when, I don't know. Like From my when, perspective, Con Air is kind of cheaply filmed and photographed. Like the, the look of Con Air is a little bit shabby. Um, yeah. That's my main 
played against Conair. Uh, okay. It's John true. I mean, they do do. They it there there are some pretty cheap locations, right? Like all the locations are you know on the plane or in the middle of nowhere. It's not like they were filming in Manhattan or something. What about Vegas? Well, yeah, Vegas, I guess, but that's the very end, the last five minutes, you know. <laughs> the, the best five minutes. Oh, speaking of a cheap, movie for free, a cheap yeah, airplane have movie. Up. Have you guys seen Air Force One? Oh with, yeah, with the it. the badly rendered like 3D yeah. studio plane crash at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the, 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 yeah, okay, yeah, Ben, yeah. we're we're here to help. Actually, this like this whole pop culture guru thing may be something that we can monetize. Uh, there it is. I said it. Monetize. So, uh, you know, we're going to start charging for these services. But uh, like any good drug dealer, the first one is free. So what <laughs> advice do we have for Ben? I have, I have one to, to start us off, actually. Uh, based, on his, based on his comments about liking movies, the general gist I, I get is movies that are clever, but not necessarily too, like, smart or, I guess, cutesy for their... I, I'm, I'm over-talking this too much. Ben, I'm going to recommend Ocean's Eleven for your dad, the, the recent remake with, with George Clooney and Brad Pitt in them. There's not too much suspension of disbelief required. It's fun. The, the characters involved are smart. There are interesting situations that develop. It's funny, uh, and it's just genuinely a good movie. In fact, there's a lot of Steven Soderbergh that I think you might like, but Ocean's Eleven is a good gateway. There's not a lot of action per se, though. There's there's some some decent there's tension which I think is more important than action. Yeah, oh, there's a scene where they steal the steal the pinch, the the, yes. the EM EM the EM the, the whole electromagnetic pulse thing. Uh, there is some suspension of disbelief going on there. That that would be the the most that it, that it requires. But the whole suspension of disbelief thing. I mean, there's there's clearly several movies that we just uh, listed over there that require significant suspension of disbelief, including Back to the Future and a lot of it for Star Trek. I would say as well too. Um, but, um, if, if, if I'm just thinking about the suspension of disbelief thing and the action thing, uh, war movies, war movies, Patton, I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. If you haven't Patton. seen Patton, see it. It's awesome. <laughs> he hasn't seen a movie since the mid nineties and you're saying he needs to catch up by watching Patton. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. That is my advice. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, there's some, there's some really good war movies, like, uh, what was the one? Three Kings, it, like, was a good Iraq Three war Kings movie. Yeah. yeah. But it's, I don't know, you know, I don't know about war movies. I mean, because war movies are not, war movies, especially the good ones, are often very depressing because war sucks. And, uh, right, so if you're looking for a good time at the movie theater, I think there's a, there's a difference between, like, war movies that take war and violence and the consequences of violence seriously and, and action movies, which are essentially farcical. Have you seen Patton? No, I've never seen Patton. Patton. No, yeah, because- Patton is definitely not what you just described. Uh, Mark, you no, go I'm ahead. Thinking, I'm thinking of, like, Saving Private Ryan and Three Kings and, I don't yeah, know, no, maybe... There's a whole genre of actual war movies that those movies are kind of dark reinterpretations of that are much more, um, you know, glorious and certainly not frivolous. And I don't think you could even really accuse them of being all that, like, you know, manipulative emotionally. I mean, they are sort of, but they're serious. Uh, but they're, they tend to be from an earlier generation that had to have a different view towards war because it's something that a lot of them did personally yeah right so um i mean i Patton is a very enthusiastic kind of movie that can get you really jazzed up but it's also pretty 
bleak and tough at times in terms of depicting what happens in war. Um, so not every war movie is either like Three Kings or like, um, you know, I don't know. I was going to say some ridiculous movie where Ice Cube runs around in the desert, but that's the Three Kings. Um, so, <laughs> so it's, yeah, so it's pretty much, you know, not in the army now or like, uh, you know, the Thin Red Line. There's a whole bunch of stuff in the middle where big armies get to do fun things that are serious. Um, like The Longest Day, for example. Oh, but okay. Are- so here's, here's two ideas. One is Renoir's Grand Illusion. And that's, I mean, that's a little slower. It's a little more ponderous, but it's a war movie. It's about, uh, it's about military POWs in World War II in a German prisoner of war camp. That is not, I think, a uh, uh, like a concentration camp, but is a is a prisoner of war camp. Or maybe that's, I don't know. Maybe I'm splitting hairs too much there. But uh, it's about these French prisoners of war and is a beautiful film. The other one is uh, Starship Troopers. Uh, (laughs) Which is about how war is awesome. (laughs) I mean, I think most movies that he's mentioning have kind of a funny side, right? Or like have a charm to them, right? I'm having a tough time thinking of exactly what to recommend because we've been in the age where the role of the action movie has been kind of co-opted by the comic book movie. And I don't feel comfortable recommending Live Free or Die Hard. Um, although that might work, um, I mean, I, I want. Well, yeah, I, would- I mean, for for action movies, Die Hard's one and three, maybe. Yeah, Die Hard with a Vengeance would probably be something he would like. Um, I, I was hoping. I was like, I, I had this impulse. I was like, I wish that I'd seen Gone Baby Gone. Um, has anyone seen that movie? I have. It's not. It's not very fun at all. I mean, it's it's, it's a it's a good it's a good movie. I mean, it's it's one of the few movies I've ever seen that ends with a moral dilemma that I don't believe I could answer satisfactorily were it put to me. And that's never happened in any movie I've seen. So, I mean, it's, it's good, but it's not fun. All right, so I was assuming that Ben Affleck's presence was going to include a certain amount of whimsy, but it sounds like he got all stuff. Yeah, um, got, got all serious. <laughs> I like Cinderella Man a lot. I would recommend Cinderella Man, the 2005 boxing movie. That has some charming moments, some fun moments, but it's not as punchy. Well, ironically, because it's about <laughs> boxing. <laughs> Zap. Uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, if you because so much of that role of like the fun action comedy is all of these comic book movies that I feel like to actively dislike. So, like, if I were to think of movies that fit all those descriptions he's listed, you know, I would say Spider Man, you know, but like, I mean, that seems to be exactly wrong. Yeah, but yeah, um, especially if you have limited movie watching time, you know, if you watch like fifty movies a month, like, okay, go ahead and watch Spider Man. But if if you really are just looking for the gems, honestly, don't I watch Spider Man. I think Spider Man is really good. The first, but... the first one. Yes, without mm. reservation, I really love that movie. I like Willem uh, Dafoe a lot. Mm. Yeah. Well, anyway, I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking, and it's it's tough because so many of our you know re- movies that take place in something resembling the real world have this like Lobo esque antihero ness to them these days. Like everything needs to be all serious. <laughs> I don't know. Am I the only one in the podcast who got the Lobo reference that I just? No, made? no, no. I, I I got that. I got that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Call so um. So I apologize. Interesting dialogue, puns, or surprises. Yeah. You know what about Fargo? It, there's a little like it's a little bloody at times, but you might enjoy Fargo. It's a sort of it's a realistic narrative, right? It, it gonna, takes place if, in our world, or even like the Big Lebowski, just to to get a little more farcical. I was going to say if we're going to go Coen Brothers, I'd recommend Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Yes, that's a good one. 
because that's that's, that's yeah that's a little more it's a little more fun uh you know there's there's more of a traditional narrative arc protagonists we can identify with etc yeah mm-hmm. i think pretty strong choice based on like because it's got some really cool modulation in the pacing sort of like jurassic park does where there are parts of it that are very sort of fun and and comedic and then it it seamlessly eases into the parts of it that are that are much more serious um which it maintains the plausibility you know the sense of plausibility oh 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 what about the um uh hunt for red october patriot games uh, the the Alec Baldwin and the Harrison Ford Jack Ryan movies. Yes, definitely. Hunt for Red October, especially that one's that one's just a lot of fun. And if you like mm. uh, Hunt for Red October, watch Crimson Tide. Mm. I and mean, they're so very very different, but it's also you have good actors, you know, in a submarine. Do you think you would like a movie like The 40-Year-Old Virgin? But I guess there's no action in it. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> All right. I get it. Were you, I see what that, you, were you seeing that segue up for the next topic there? <laughs> I guess so. I want to talk about I want to talk about one thing though. This is something that before we move on, this is something that we've brought up before, but I want to talk about um uh willing suspension of disbelief, right? Like it's um uh and I, I said Blake before. It's not Blake. It's Coleridge, right? So um, the idea is that you – the idea is that when you, um, when you enter – when you engage with a work of art, you make a deal with the creator of the work of art. You will suspend your disbelief, right? You will go to the musical and sit there and not get up every five seconds and say, that's ridiculous. People don't uh, – People don't break out in song in the middle of a, of a sentence. Uh, you will do that. You will suspend that disbelief in exchange for being entertained in a way that is, you know, uh, fundamentally respectful of your willingness to suspend your disbelief. So they're, they're not going to, like, set up a bunch of rules and then break them later. They're not going to abuse your attention in certain ways. And so it's not like, I think it gets thrown around like it's a bad thing. Like, oh, I had to suspend my disbelief in order to watch that movie. Um, no, no, no. It's, it's a description. It's a normative description. It's a description of how the process should work when it goes well. You suspend your disbelief in exchange for which you get entertainment. You know, and that's and that's you know that's how it's supposed to go. Now, when we talk about that, like, oh God, I had to suspend my disbelief. I think a lot of the time we're talking about uh, works of art that abuse our attention and that sort of that sort of don't take seriously the contract that we make when we do uh, suspend our disbelief and sort of enter imaginatively into a work of art. And there's no of works of art that are disrespectful of their audience and uh, I think it's a damn shame what do you think about Hot Fuzz would that be a movie we could recommend to Ben's dad (laughs) (laughs) did you pay attention at all to my little rant (laughs) well there are a bunch of like Hot Fuzz yeah there are um you know, well, hey, I mean, if, you're, know, like, if you're looking you for about- if you're looking for a laugh riot, watch In Bruges. <laughs> that movie, I like that movie a lot. No, I like That's that a movie a lot too. It's not a laugh riot. However. No, it's not. <laughs> I mean, it's funny sometimes. There is a midget in it, a little person. <laughs> <laughs> There's a little person in it who is 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 sort of like 
plays off of the character of the horrible, like nasty little person, like an elf. Um, like, and I think it might even be one of the same actor. Yeah, because a... there, there really is only one. Well, I guess there's there's uh, Ver, uh, who played Minnie Me, Vern Troyer, and then this guy, who are like the two uh, actors of small stature. Peter Dinklage. What what friggin' Warwick Davis is the king of little man actors, and he's still <laughs> so anyway anyway. <laughs> yeah, I think that narrativization provides us a leap from reality to understanding, and the bigger the leap, the more that the narrativization has to be able to give us to encourage us to do it. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel like with um, God, not to get back to a Terminator one and two, right. <laughs> You know, of course requires not. Why would you want to do that? Requires a clear leave of faith, and um, you know, requires a, you know, you know, to compensate for that, you got the you know the excellent uh, you know character development and relationship depiction of of, of relationships uh, that James Cameron produces that the other filmmakers in Terminator have not been able to do. I'm going to stop talking about Terminator now. I promise. <laughs> I mean, that's what we have in improv too. Is that one of the ways that you ground the craziness is that you focus on the relationships between the characters? So. I know now I cry, but it is something I can never do. <laughs> I like saying that phrase a lot. <laughs> that is Fair something enough. like, yeah, you have to give someone... I mean, it's two things. You have to create a world that has internally consistent rules so that people can can uh, understand it somehow, that they can come to understand it. And actually, I think the achievement of coming to understand Crazy World is one of the pleasures of... Uh, fantastical works of art, and also you have to give them somewhere to uh, to hang their hat. So the yeah. the people have to be re- recognizably human, uh, or you know, recognizably something uh, yeah. that you, that you can can buy buy into. One of the really nice rules that I came across in my screenwriting reading recently is the idea of what he calls double mumbo jumbo, um, which is that if you ask your audience to accept one thing that is a huge departure from reality, um, that can be true and everything that that implies can be true, but don't ask them to accept an additional thing that is a huge departure from reality in a different direction. Okay, that sounds right? good in the abstract. So what's the, what's the concrete example? Well, a concrete example of, of something that doesn't work there um, would be like if there were a Terminator movie that had a wizard in it, right? <laughs> and it's like, oh, I have the magic. To, and I've seen Terminator movies with wizards in them. I mean, like, you know, they haven't been theatrically released, but like movies where there's like, you know, I mean, I guess you could talk about like, st- you know, steampunk and things like Shadowrun. And like you say, well, that's sort of makes it cogent, makes it one thing. I think the example he gives is, uh, is Spider-Man, incidentally enough, and I think it was a critical, it was an appropriate enough criticism, where you have one guy who has superpowers because he's been bitten by a radioactive spider, and another guy who has superpowers, you know, because he has done these experiments with the military, and they've driven him crazy, and he sees pictures of himself. And, like, those are two different enough reasons for there to have superpowers in the world that it is confusing and, and takes the audience out of the story. Um, so it's better to have a good Spider-Man and an evil Spider-Man than to have, like, Spider-Man... This is why I'm so worried about... This is why I think the Mandarin is, like, the most ridiculous thing ever, right? It's because you have Iron Man who gets his power from technology, and you have, like, the Mandarin with his, like, oriental silks and fine rings. Um, (laughs) And it's just, like, this huge departure from what the show is about. Um, And it doesn't quite line up in in terms of opposites the way that they want them to. Um, So, yeah, the Mandarin, I guess, would probably be the best example. Iron Man fighting the Mandarin. Because if, if this is a world in which the most powerful magic available comes from bling then why does iron man not have bling 
Like, you know, like, why do we have to entertain these two totally different separate departures from reality? Uh, Mark Lee, do you have any commentary on the Mandarin? <laughs> no, he's Korean. Yeah, let's not let's not open that can of worm. Yeah. Uh, I, would, I would offer another example of this double mumbo jumbo thing: um, the Golden Compass, which I know is based on a novel, but for whatever reason, when it's transposed to the screen, you see talking animals and this magic dust, which is supposed to do this other random thing. It's a complete mess. We didn't see it was based on disaster. It's yeah, so sad. <laughs> the movie, yeah, it's 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 an unmitigated fuster cluck from beginning to end. Absolutely, but but read the novels because the novels are truly brilliant. Oh, okay, okay. So does that apply? Does that that's your question? Then does that apply? Does the double mumbo jumbo thing apply just to film or also to other methods of storytelling? Maybe it's well, more pull off in film. I mean, I think that when you're talking about movies, uh, people will give you a lot more advice to try to keep things consistent. First of all, a movie is something you're going to enjoy in one sitting, right? Um, so if you think about it, if you're going to compare it to fiction, compare it to short stories, not to novels, um, because it's, it's one experience. And so if you are jumping back and forth across different ways of understanding it, then it's going to be pretty jarring. Whereas in a novel, you could have one chapter that does one thing, one section that does another thing. I don't think it would be as, as problematic. But I mean, I think that if you're talking about fantasy and suspension of disbelief in general, um, you have to do a lot of work to justify bringing it together double mumbo jumbo and I think work done justifying things is gener- is work that is not done telling the story right and it, it adds to your exposition it adds to the burden of you crafting your plot together in, in, in an elegant way and so it makes it harder you're making it harder for yourself that's a good point um, you know, I, also, you know, I also think uh, uh, that work spent uh, giving characters backstories and flashbacks so that everything seems very neatly psychologically determined is also work not spent telling your story. Yeah, I used to say that the the Fenzel rule of flashback is like uh, a flash. The value of a flashback is its essentialness to the story divided by its duration squared. <laughs> <laughs> and that was my big argument why I didn't like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was that it has had this massive, massive flashback that wasn't really essential to the story at all. So it varies. Uh, yeah, oh. it varies. It varies inversely with the square of the duration. Okay, exactly. like that. Yeah. Pete, what- <laughs> would an example of a to get to tie in one last genre? Would an example of like a triple or quadruple mumbo jumbo be the entire Metal Gear Solid franchise? <laughs> I suppose. I suppose uh, there's a lot that's coming together there. You have to buy into not only giant robots or psychics or spirit animals or government conspiracies or genetic manipulation or teleporting cybernetic ninjas or swords that can deflect bullets or and really i could just keep going cardboard boxes in combat situations is something else that you have to entertain yeah Yeah, i don't know i I, I got one last example of this i think this is a really good one star wars episode one and midichlorians Oh right. yeah, yeah. Oh right, yeah. That's a perfect one, right? Like, if you're going to ask hell, me right? to believe in a spiritual force that like unites all things, don't tell me it's from like bacteria in our bloodstream. Yeah, well, certainly yeah. don't tell me these things at different times. You know, like and ask me to believe <laughs> separately. And then, yeah, like, yeah. Exchange- I felt really slapped in the face by that. It was like, oh hey, this thing that was very cool about these three movies that you liked a lot. Yeah, it turns out that. It's just the bugs. Like it turns out that Indiana Jones was on was on meth the whole time. Which is why he was <laughs> 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 
<laughs> Forgot my hat. <laughs> no ticket. No ticket. Uh. It belongs in the museum. Shut up, kid. We belong in the museum. That's probably true. We belong to the night. We belong to another. All right. Well, so I've mentioned Blake. I've mentioned Coleridge. Uh, who's left? Well, Wordsworth. And someone with the clever internet pseudonym of Wordsworth writes in. Uh, also, I guess, from Australia. Uh, about- I love Australian peoples. <laughs> I really do. I really do. Also, I feel like if we end up doing a live event, it's something that we had thought of. And if you're a listener and think that, you know, you have a great idea for a live event that we should do, we were thinking of pegging it to like a summer blockbuster opening. We were thinking maybe Terminator. I'm glad we didn't it because it turned out to be a little disappointing. Um, a little? <laughs> Tiny bit. I I also needed. I I felt like worked over physically by Terminator. I like I felt very pummeled by the like the loudness of it and the whole unrelenting action um, and the you know hatred of people at the you know joy taken and sort of ripping them limb from limb uh, and filming it. I uh, so I kind of needed some quiet alone time after I watched Terminator <laughs> to like, you know, sit in a fetal position and rock slowly while, while, you know, a single tear dripped down my cheek. But, uh, we, you know, we were thinking of doing a, a live event where we then, after the movie, we go out to the bar and, uh, we overthink live and maybe even record it for a podcast episode. We feel questions. We do a whole, you know, we do a whole thing. Um, and maybe we should do our first one in Australia since our readership down there <laughs> seems to be so strong and listenership, you know, Australians, you are our people. So hey, donate yo. to the site because I can't afford playing tickets. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, all the t-shirts, lots of t-shirts, thousands all the of people, them. All the people who've written in clearly live within like five miles of each other in Australia because there's only like one city there, right? It's <laughs> oh, not like it's oh, now you've alienated the whole audience. You've alienated the whole Australian audience. It's not like there's it's not like there's a whole continent down there, is there? We know all of our readers' locations very precisely. We can it out on the map pretty easily. Yes, my, my point is they're not all going to be able to commute to wherever we happen to land. Like, you know, if we get in Sydney, like, oh, no, sorry, why didn't you come to Melbourne? Let's okay, go to let's, Singapore. Okay. Everybody go I, no, to no, Singapore. no, I got a great idea. We'll just, we'll just put ourselves smack in the middle of the continent. It's make it very easy for everyone to come to us, right? It'll be very easy to get to. Yeah, no, it is the easiest place to get to. Well, some of you guys can go to Kansas City, and then the rest of us will go to the middle of the desert. <laughs> everyone will show up. No, the middle of the North American continent, I think, is in South Dakota, right? So that's where we would go. I don't know. What happens when, when you just open Google Earth and then zoom straight down? Because Google <laughs> Earth... Google you don't Earth. want to do that. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, Wordsworth uh, wrote a comment on the on the show notes for the last episode for number forty eight, and because um, comments are podcasts recollected in tranquility. What? Anyone? Uh, Lyr- lyrical ballads? N- never mind. I know. <laughs> I was expecting at least a courtesy laugh. Uh, Wordsworth has has these things to say uh, to overthink. What the first is the cultural prejudice against abstinence, which we brought up last time. Uh, and Wordsworth says, "You mentioned it all only in passing, and sometimes it's hard to tell how seriously you guys say things." 
Well, that's, that's <laughs> that is true about us a lot of, or I should say, of that is, is, that is sure. true yeah. about us a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, but press one of the big buttons, as far as I'm concerned, those that uh, defer sex to be less than, to be uptight, to be socially inept, it really irks Wordsworth. If someone's a virgin, it's a disease that must be cured. Uh, like the 40-year-old virgin. Uh, there's apparently also a Doctor Who episode, The Impossible Planet, where the virgin was listed uh, as being one character's primary weakness, um, you know, and and things like this. Um, uh, Wordsworth goes on to talk about minority representation and kind of tokenism, and we talked about those a little bit last week. I'm going to skip that one. Uh, the other thing... Uh, Wordsworth brings up is a recent trend towards the bubble wrapping of children, uh, which we kind of uh, spoke about vis-a-vis Sesame Street. The over-censoring of children's material is ridiculous, right? And the idea that those early Sesame Street episodes were not, uh, uh, you know, are not good for children anymore. Anyway. It is, it is not cool to practice kicking field goals with them if you don't bubble wrap them first. <laughs> <laughs> but too soon too soon after the famous child field goal kicking accident no. does it make something more acceptable to say if you have no anecdotal evidence of it ever happening <laughs> or does that make it less acceptable well this is i mean the, you know look these are um like the i would love to talk about the bubble wrapping of children especially oh, yeah, especially in the the larger context of society but this may not be the podcast for that uh because it's not necessarily pop cultural but we definitely can talk about about virgins in film can't we well, the cover of People magazine this week was very titillating. Um, that that sort of bare kiss, just just almost kiss between the Twilight peoples at the MTV Movie Awards, and the headline: "They're really in love, or are they really in love? Oh my gosh! Like they look oh. like they're kissing. They're actors." But they're OMG! Kidding. OMG! That, that's actually that's actually one that a bunch of the tabloids have picked up on. Just the doing groceries today, I saw that. Uh, I saw what was it? Uh, Globe and Us Weekly also had similar coverage, so the the consensus seems to be, if not the reality, and you know consensus defines reality that uh, Robert Patterson and Kristen Stewart are in fact legitimately dating again, which I believe they were before briefly, but then weren't, and now are, and um, I don't know, craziness. It's just when they're it's when they're in production. Mm. I mean, did you guys see the Justin Timberlake Mother's Day Saturday Night Live where he actually came out and he said that? that he had had sex with Britney Spears. Um, oh, I, I was surprised. I didn't get more suppressed than it did at the time, but I guess it's kind of become irrelevant. At yeah, this but point. that was known. Wasn't that known recently? I mean, I don't think that was the first revelation of that. I guess. I just am used to it in this culture to have people actually up and admit things. It seems very rare. Um, or at least something that is done only with like public relish at the failure that it represents. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Here, here's a, if you want to talk about this whole public stigma against virginity thing, I mean, I had to deal with that for a long time because I was a late bloomer. And um, I don't know. First of all, I think it's a little bit overblown. I don't think that people really suffer for it all that much. And I mean, I think a lot of the time 
Um, a lot of the things that people think are sort of conspiracies against them are really just the case of the general noise of general hostility in the world towards everybody. Um, so if you go to high school and somebody makes fun of you for being a virgin, don't worry. If you weren't a virgin, they'd be making fun of your haircut. You know, like it's the kind of thing where they're going to find some sort of reason to try to come after you. So you probably shouldn't try to take it all that personally. Yeah, but there's also – there's but, a I mean, sense – I don't know what the – I don't know what the religious – I actually don't know what the religious atmosphere of Australia is like, but with the sort of rise of uh, megachurch Christianity over the last, what, say, 20 years in this country, and the idea of, like, virginity pledges and these, these like, purity balls, which are these creepy father-daughter dances where, like, daughters pledge to their fathers that they will remain chaste until married. Like, you know, I think it's... A, I think that there are a couple of of interesting countercurrents and like the idea you know the idea that you know Miley Cyrus going on about her Christianity or like the Jonas brothers and their purity rings or something like that like this is you know there there are there there are some tensions here right like whereas the the Judd the Judd Apatow value system would be like you know virginity is a is a disease uh the the Disney, what shall we say, right? The Disney Corporation value value system is, you know, true love waits. Yeah, well, the Disney, the Disney value system is that sex does not exist, um, right? Except in so far as much as we want to dress twelve year old girls up like harem women and buy them fancy lunch boxes with sexy chicks on them. Um, <laughs> but like, I don't recall is- the last time in a Disney movie where people actually had sex or like talked about it. Or no. like, except for Herbie the Love Bug with Lindsay Lohan when she was having sex with that car. Too soon? Too, it didn't actually happen. Just fiction. <laughs> Chill out. It was just a fictional representation of a beautiful metaphorical. This love. actually, <laughs> this was one of the areas that I wanted to get into in in like the overprotection of children. I mean, I think it's I think it's laughable the way we're overprotective of children, considering the way. Uh, that we seem to uh, to sexualize ever younger and younger girls, especially. Mm-mm. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's one of the reasons why we there's so much in the way of sort of nastiness and sort of gossiping and uh, and social stigma that's used to adjudicate this issue is that we don't seem to really have a very reasonable way of going about it that isn't through these other means. Like, we don't have a really solid way of talking about it, whereas people who want to save things for marriage versus people who think that that's ridiculous can actually talk to each other, like, in a meaningful way. So instead, you get a lot of kind of dancing around the issue and sort of mutual making fun of each other and, like, a lot of of sort of um, slander, right, and not a lot of actual substantive discussion. Right, because because both sides, the rhetoric of both sides is... is couched in a lot of normative absolutes i mean yeah yeah yeah, sorry you go ahead oh sorry i didn't didn't mean to cut off but i mean yeah the the contrast it's weird because both both of the discussions frame themselves in terms of virginity being the central object the one side being virginity is something to be cherished and protected for as long as possible this sort of you know disney you know romantic comedy teenage view and the other being that virginity is something to be discarded or gotten over as quickly as possible that being the american pie you know judd apatow view uh but both but not there's no sort of i guess for lack of a better term uh virginity agnostic agnosticism view the idea that you know virginity is is a concept it's not a it's not a physical well 
I'm, now I've, I've gone and said something wrong because in the case of females, it is, you know, a physical thing. This is why we need more girls on the podcast. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Like gymnasts and horseback riders, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like more of a coincidence than anything else. I think too much. I mean, I think too much emphasis is, is placed on that actually. And like, just cause it was, it was a, it was a physical sign. Right. And that's weird. But my point is there's there's very little credence given to the, the virginity agnostic view. The idea that, you know what, it doesn't matter – there doesn't have to be that big an imp, impact on your first time. Like why does, why does the very first instance as opposed to the best instance or an instance with someone you love or an embarrassing and comically entertaining instance, why does that particular first one have to be the one on which you hang so much baggage? Well, it's, I, and, and I think, John, that's like – so psychologically speaking, it's I think it's easy to follow. Like it's a displacement, right? We talk about virginity because we don't know how to talk about sex. Yeah, and so, yeah, and so that like it's 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 easy to focus in on this thing as though it actually were the issue. Though it's not. Though it's not the issue. It's a you know it's a, a sort of culturally determined contingent byproduct of the issue. Plus, right. like you might have one person who's had sex. But because of the way that they choose to do relationships and things like that might have a lot more in common with someone who hasn't than they do with somebody who has sex all the time with a lot of different people. But because of the way that we build our little Venn diagrams and such, the people who have had sex are all in the club together even when they don't necessarily have anything in common with each other. And the people who haven't had sex are off to the side in the ghetto, even though they might have a lot to do. I mean, you know, what, if, what about married people? They're more like virgins than other people, right? <laughs> As a side note, I remember in New York City, uh, maybe a couple of years ago, there was some sort of off-Broadway one-person show. I think it was called something like The First Time, where the entire premise of the show was collecting people's recollections of their first experience having sex. And kind of like, and, it was, and, and you know, I, I'm you know, not saying that how where this falls in terms of the, you know, whatever, these two sides of the debate we've talked about here. But clearly there's, you know, there's this common cultural uh experience right of this act of the first time is there not well i think that it is wrong to say that it yeah. isn't if there isn't a, a, speci- a specific sort of inherent importance that experiencing something for the first time has in like a person's formations of memories and opinions right like, yeah I, I don't know if this obviously i don't know if the show like you know uh, how much a, a importance the show attaches to these stories but at least there are stories that you know people have yeah yeah I mean, I th- yeah, I think that like it would be nice if we could focus less on it. I think what John says makes a lot of sense, but I think it's also important to remember that like the first time you went to a baseball game or the first time that you like saw a platypus, which I've never done, but maybe our friends in Australia have, um, maybe maybe that is going to be more important to you than the subsequent times that you saw a platypus, at least relative to the quality of platypus sightings or their number or perhaps their intensity with waddling or swimming or laying have eggs. <laughs> you lay eggs, right? They have fur. They give milk. Is that what it is? Yeah, there, isn't that they why they're weird? Dog, they're free. They, yeah. they have psychic powers that they don't really use, and unless you get them really riled up, and most of the time they're kind of useless. <laughs> let me, I mean, let me take a stab at, at talking about why it's such a useful plot device for movies, though, right? Like, uh, narrative concerns changes in things over time, right? And that there's a there's a time before the change, and there's a time after the change, and the change is what what the drama is about. And so it's um, and the more profound the change, or the more basic the change, the higher the stakes. And you know. I, at least um, 
though, though this kind of goes contra to John's point that there really is no difference between uh, between virginity and not virginity. Like you're not nothing in your you know molecular structure changes uh, after your first time. Like the the um, it is a bigger it's a bigger shift you know than between like times thirty five and thirty six, right? Yeah. I mean, one of the other things that the same screenwriting book taught, told me when I was reading it was if you're, you can, it's hard to tell stories about older people because of like youth obsessed Hollywood and what gets eyeballs tuned in. So a lot of stories that are about virginity are really just stories about sex that have been had their stakes raised by artificially setting them around like people's like late teenage years. Right. Like, um, you know, that, that uh, if you want to why, – why are you telling the story about now as opposed to any other time tends to pull stories towards things that have an inherent significance but not necessarily importance um, because they are – you know, they're, you can denote them as different from other things. Like if you're – like for example, if you're taking um, – if you're t- looking for the lo- – if you're looking for the minimum and maximum – minima and maxima of a particular function that exists over a particular interval, you have to test the endpoints. The endpoints are special by virtue of being endpoints doesn't necessarily mean that they're super duper important in the grand scheme of things but like they do have a logical significance right that that makes them magnets for narrative action pete don't you think that it's not it's not just that you know we love the nubile nubile eye candy and you know that those are the only people we can go uh uh to we can get people to come to see movies about don't you think that there's something about the pace of change being more rapid in the early in the early part of life, you know, like that is to say like the learning to walk, for example, a baby's learning to walk is a kind of acquisition of a skill uh, of a, of a level of profundity that doesn't often happen later in life. You know, that there, I mean, you can learn things later in life, but it's not like learning to walk or, you know, especially like sort of coming of age, uh, coming of age around the sort of onset of adulthood, like that, that the, just the pace of change is is faster and the types the type of change is intrinsically more profound ipso facto i mean i think that you're definitely right youth obsession is about more than just flesh you know it's about a nostalgia for the way that life worked at that i am not i am a fan of the television show gossip girl and pretty much (laughs) any television show about the the sex lives of you know privileged nubile uh flesh so i am not knocking flesh <laughs> but I, I do think there's more there's more to it than that. God, isn't well, I'm it? I'm a fan of Antiques sh- Roadshow. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to break it to you, but that samurai sword is fake and is only worth about seventy five dollars. Triumph a tragedy. It's like losing your virginity all over again. <laughs> what? I felt violated. When I found out that that guy's baseball card collection was a forgery, uh-huh. that was that was awful. John, what were yep. you about to say? Well, uh, two things. Although, if we're if we're if we're straying away from abstinence, I have I have one comment for uh, for Wordsworth. But if we still have more to talk about abstinence and and youth culture, then then we can keep going there. Meh. Okay. So uh, Wordsworth, you this is sort of directed at you. You you closed your your comment and email with a a note that here I'll I'll read it directly. Uh, with the comment that, uh, on that note, I am 18 and a half and was surprised to hear your disbelief at reaching a younger demographic. I'm interested to know why this age bracket shouldn't be part of the audience. Since I'm the person who, who raised that question last time, let me just throw out there right now that I do not at all believe 
there's a particular age bracket that shouldn't be part of our audience. That's that's not at all what I or I believe anyone else in the podcast wants to convey. I honestly just had not given it much thought until someone brought it up. Like I I had presumed that given that you know the the people in the podcast are you know white and Asian males predominantly between say twenty four ish and twenty eight ish or so. I, I just naturally assumed that our audience would would be you know males or females of that age range and, and demographics. So it was it was eye opening to me to learn that we're we're meeting younger people and you're you're awesome for listening to us. So keep it up and and please tell your friends and buy some t shirts. From as far away as as Australia. Hey John, don't you think that like another way to think about it might have been like who uses computers? You know, who is really into the uh, who is really into sort of online media. Exactly. And who's into, you know, the sort of intricate and, and offbeat analyses of pop culture that, that we provide, well, people who are tapped into pop culture. Which are mostly young people. Yeah. So let, exactly. me, let me say there are – we did have a, uh, a survey, and I think the link is still on the homepage of Overthinking It. Uh, and we'd appreciate it if you, t- if you would take it because it helps us along with, with uh, telling your friends – about the podcast, it's it's one of the the biggest things you can do to help us because we can, you know, with a thirty second ad, we might be able to cover more hosting costs and things like that, and it, it you know it wouldn't have such a terrible impact on the quality of the on the quality of the show. Uh, so you know we are totally willing to sell out for advertising. But anyway, so we have a we have a like. Yeah. Quick, quick question about the advertising. Do we get to read the advertisements out in our voices? Yes. Or do we get to play yeah. yeah no. It's, I mean, if you listen to a lot of podcasts, they they tend to the podcast ads tend to take the form of like a host endorsement. Mm. So it would be like, uh, gosh, what a great service for audiobooks. Audible dot com is. Wait, Matt, when, hold on a second. Can we put the podcast on hold? Because I have to scoop out a spoonful of this delicious Philadelphia cream cheese from this bucket. <laughs> I don't Nothing think... I love more than delicious, smooth, creamy Philadelphia cream cheese. Well, that is wonderful. Yeah, yum, Peter, yum, yum, yum. I'm going to have a sip of my Pellegrino water. It's so refreshing. Why don't you pour oh. your Pellegrino water into my Philadelphia cream cheese? Basically, <laughs> advertisers. I don't know, Pete. We would, never be, we would not be virgins anymore, though. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have not laughed this much since the season premiere of Burn Notice, which is on USA this past Thursday, and is its third hot new season. Man. Uh, Advertisers, are you listening to this? You're sitting on a gold mine. <laughs> naturally, we slip these things in here. We're just that no, seriously. It's like I, you were driving a Z3 through a... <laughs> <laughs> Burn Notice, positive track. Burn no, notice no. was actually... I thought it was pretty good. I mean, you know, it, I thought the... Uh, the the plot twist near the end I thought was pretty good. I mean, I saw it coming, but okay. You know, yeah. I'm I'm yeah, I'm happy with where this where I think the show is going to go this season. Yeah, as as a rule, I cannot recommend that show highly enough. It's it's smart, it's fun, it's funny. It's got a it's got a great setting. It's yeah, just great all around. Uh, I want to talk about podcast demographics, but I got to say, so I've been getting recently Chuck, and I've been working my way through the second season of Chuck. On uh, like DVR, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, 
Especially on DDR, you're like dancing your way through it. <laughs> yeah, they have tracks with, you know, the little arrows that pop up. No, so, and like, I'm only halfway through the second season now, but it seems like Chuck is a terrible spy. And he's a terrible spy in ways that are predictable and in ways that are not charming but are annoying, right? Like, he, he ruins every mission in exactly the same way and then kind of pulls it out at the very end uh, in, in exactly the same way through exactly the same twist of luck or fate or, or what have you. Uh, Burn Notice is about spies who are awesome and who are like extremely good at the spy job, you know? And like that, I much prefer that as a, as a television show. Mm. Anyway, so uh, look, here's from the podcast responses that we've had and we've had, um, uh, Oh, God, I, I didn't see the end. I think it's in the low hundreds. I think it's like 120 responses or something like that. Uh, our, our biggest 49% of our listenership is in the 25 to 34 age demographic and uh, 37% in the 18 to 24 demographic, which actually, for who consumes online media, that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll say, advertisers, I mean, 18 to 34, that's the sweet spot, demographically. Uh, right. 80% Just male. like the sweet spot at the middle of this uh, <laughs> Gushers fruit chew that I'm delicious. <laughs> oh, man, it's a gusher of flavor. Uh, it's totally drowning me in flavor with fruit. Uh-oh. Fake fruit. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Continue. 78% male. Woo! Uh, dudes! Up high! The, um, <laughs> Actually, that means it's 22% female, which is pretty awesome, if you think yeah, that's really it. surprising. Yeah. And yeah. I'm very grateful. I mean, we've been posted on a lot of feminist websites, and we catch a lot of attention from, like, the feminist uh, internet media, and so I'm not surprised of it somewhat, but I'm very pleased that they're at least translating somewhat into our regular readership and listenership. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I'm glad. I'm actually, I'm really glad, you know, I think it's important to talk about uh, and of course, it's a sausage party on the podcast tonight. But like, I think it's important to talk about feminism in popular culture, and I, and I think it's it's important to, to do it in a way that's not demagoguery and that's not, uh, you know, sort of, I don't know, uh, that 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 uh, <laughs> rather than identifying the particular traps, which is going to get me into trouble rapidly, uh, I'll say in a way that doesn't fall into. Uh, any any number of traps that attend that particular subject, and I, I'm glad that we've been able to do it. Uh, you know, especially especially yeah. with Shana. You know, Shana. I mean, she's just she's you know writes very engagingly on that topic. Yeah, I, so it's, we don't want to treat um, gender and and feminist issues as a separate but equal field of inquiry and thus diminish it by doing so. We want to integrate it into our overall discussion so that it has legitimacy along with everything else that we talk about. Right. That's what I aim for anyway. Just like the way that, you know, uh, I- iTunes integrates well with my digital life. And, uh, and my <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or the way that this delicious kale salad that I got from Trader Joe's really makes pulls together a lot of the, uh, the <laughs> my dinner that are also delicious, like this Philadelphia cream cheese. Or the way, that this, area, the, the way that this area rug yeah. really, really ties the room together. Has anyone paid attention? I'm eating the worst dinner ever, apparently. <laughs> like mushrooms and green Oh, gross. And Pellegrino. Well, of course, so we didn't get to any new pop culture because we spent the whole time doing uh, listener and reader feedback. But you know what? We love your feedback. So uh, send us more. 
Uh, yes. It's podcasted over thinkingit.com or call the voicemail 20 eat log zero one or leave a uh, leave a comment on the show notes uh, on the site. And as always, visit us at www.overthinkingit.com, the site that subjects the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably doesn't deserve. It doesn't deserve. Fight stuff. <laughs> <laughs>